Hello, and welcome to Cover Your Eyes podcast. Today, we're talking about the movie Flowers in the Attic from 1987, based on the novel by V.C. Andrews. And it's messed up. (laughs) (laughs) Hi, Sarah. Hi, Holly. Do you want to talk about this movie? Uh, No, let's go home. (laughs) Okay, Flowers in the Attic. When... Did you see this movie? I feel like we watched this together Mm -hmm. when we were like 11. That sounds about right. It came out when we were like nine or something. So by the time it was on TV, it seemed like a made for TV movie anyway, doesn't it? I thought it was so bad. I okay. When I looked it up to watch it, I this time. I was like, wait, was this like a major movie release? Was it? For those who don't know, haven't been exposed to the traumatic, disturbing lifestyle choices of the Dolling Ganger family. Sarah, take it away. There's a family with a mom and dad. And four kids, two boys, two girls. And they're all extremely Aryan looking, <laughs> at least in the movie. They're like strikingly Aryan and alarming. They seem to be like a normal, happy family. Everything's great until the dad dies in a car accident. And then it all goes to hell from there. The mother, it's set in the 50s. So the mom is basically like doesn't have a lot of options for taking care of four children on her own. And she determines that the best thing to do is go back to her family who's very, very, very rich. And so the kids didn't even know about her family because she was estranged from them. And so they're like meeting their grandparents for the first time. They travel to this big estate, this grand estate. And then once they're there, the mom tells them like, sorry, but your grandpa doesn't know about you and he can't know about you. So we're going to have to hide you away. (laughs) They're like, Okay. And then they meet their grandma and she's really, really mean. And they basically lock them in the attic, hence the name. And then from there, um, strange things are happening with the brother and sister. And they both start going through puberty while they're locked in the attic together. (laughs) I'm just going to leave it at that for now. And then they find out that their mom basically is abandoning them in the attic. So her whole thing was that she was going to go back there, win her father's love and get put back in the will so that they could get a lot of money and not have to worry about how they were going to survive from then on. But then once they're there, the plans change and the mom basically realizes, Oh, this is cool. I'm like rich again with no kids to take care of. And she just leaves them up there to rot basically. And then in the end, The kids finally escape and kind of get revenge on their mom because she was about to marry someone else who also didn't know that she had any kids. And then they come in and ruin the wedding. And should I say what happens from there? That's good. Okay. They get revenge. Thank you. That was succinct. It's kind of hard. Yeah. Well, and this one... 
This one has a lot. Now, I will say that it's the second movie in a row where there's a wedding crashers. <laughs> so up top, if you've ever crashed a wedding, write to us at CoverYourEyesPodcast mm-hmm. at gmail.com. That's right. Yeah, working girl. Now, these two wedding crashes had completely different outcomes. That's for damn sure. Okay. When I was, when we were kids and we watched this movie, I feel like everybody was talking about this book, this movie. It was like in the consciousness of the women in this country. It's all about incest. The reason that the four children are abominations and why the grandpa can't know about them is because they're a product of incest between their mother and their father, who is also their mother's uncle. Right. Now, somewhere I read that he was her half uncle. I don't know if that's how it is in the book. So that makes it half as bad. (laughs) (laughs) This is not in the movie, but the mother... Uh, Corinne mm-hmm. is the mother's name. I looked into the family tree of this family, and she is a product of incest mm. between her her father and her father's sister. What? Yeah. I mean, the, oh my god, this movie is so fucked up. Okay. Uh, also, here's the other thing. Okay, whenever we started watching this movie, I ha- I forgot that the grandma is basically, like, related to Carrie's mom from Carrie. Yeah. In their uh, religious fervor. So the grandma's in a cult. She's carrying around this book that's got all these rules in it about how to mistreat people. And she picks them all out. She picks out everything in the book about how to abuse people and reasons, justifications you can use whenever you're really terrible to another human being and they get their feelings hurt. You can just come in with this book she's got and say, well, look right here. You're an abomination. Therefore, it's perfectly fine to poison you with arsenic in the powdered sugar on the cookies I give you every day. Mm-hmm. My book says it perfectly fine. I'm a just person right here, Grandma. That's me. I'm going to say I like the way that you're framing it <clears throat> and just Thanks. talking about it in that abstract way. And then it makes you realize how ridiculous it sounds without attaching like any specific religion to it or anything just the principle of using a like thousands year old book to be mean to people today (laughs) and to persecute people today that's what's happening yeah i mean i feel like i'm gonna pull a book off of my shelf the next time i mistreat somebody just find (laughs) some justifications in it Mm -hmm. (laughs) I mean, 
Tips for living from Grammy right over here. (laughs) So this is a classic gothic thriller. There's these children. They have this really great life. Their father is ripped from them on his 35th birthday. Immediately, the mother, their mother, Corinne, goes into this like blank blankness about her. And she's like, must get to daddy. He will give me money. (laughs) Must be perfect for daddy. And the kids are like, okay, who's this lady? I don't know who this is. Like somebody came in and like took our mom, you know, they're all Mm -hmm. confused. She barely visits them in the attic. The, The grandma comes up and is like, you are all abominations. Your uncle bedded your mother. And that's why you guys look like Hitler's wet dream. (laughs) Yeah, I said it because that's how fucking gross this movie is. Mm -hmm. But let's ban the book. I am calling for the original cancel culture, which is banning books. Sorry, I got a little excited. I felt like I was in a sermon for a minute. Yeah. From grandma. Well, you know what? My book says it's fine, okay? My book's good. Your book's bad. We're going to throw your book into the fire because it doesn't agree with the things that I highlighted in my book. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, I also blanked a bunch of stuff out in that very book, like about loving people. If there was the word love around it, I just took a a magic marker, black, just <laughs> race right through that. Is there anything about torture, pain, blaming women for everything that's ever happened that a man has ever done that's Mm -hmm. been horrible? Obviously, it's the woman's fault. Hell yeah, I highlighted that. Words to live by. (laughs) Grandma. Yeah. And speaking of no love, she actually says like to the kids, I will give you food and shelter, but no love. You can't love anything unwholesome. Yeah, Yeah. that was her welcome to them. Hmm. So, I mean, the book came out in 1979, and then the movie was made in 87. Mm -hmm. And when I think of this movie, I only think like the, I only think about incest. Like, that's the main thing that ever comes to mind. Yeah. What else would? It was like the incest movie, um, the incest book. And. It's kind of a like dark topic for children, I guess. Um, but in the movie, they don't really get into it as much as I thought. I guess more in the book. And we knew about the book somewhat from, because we had a friend that would read all the V.C. Andrews books. Well, and I read Flowers in the Attic. Okay. And I think I read The Petals on the Wind or whatever, like the second mm-hmm. one. <laughs> Which is obviously the the petals, the children, they escape. Mm-hmm. It's their life after they escape. And they are, the brother and sister are living as husband and wife in wow. the second book. Mm-hmm. Their dream was to escape to Florida, which seems appropriate. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. They were like, hey. 
why not? This is what we do, I guess. It's almost, it's kind of like it's treated like it's some kind of genetic predisposition that you're just going to like turn around one day and be super turned on by your sibling. Mm -hmm. Because the mom, their mom is a product of incest between brother and sister. They're a product of incest between their, a brother, I'm sorry, they're a product of incest between a uncle and a niece inner you know there's intergenerational trauma big time that's happening and you see the mother corinne when she gets to this is the most disturbing thing to me that happened and to me i feel like this particular scene tells you everything you need to know about what's to follow. And it's when Corinne is walking into the father's bedroom, her father's bedroom, and she takes her clothes off and he's sick and he's withering away and he's laying in this giant bed. The mom, her mom takes a whip and lashes her with it repeatedly in front of her father while she doesn't have clothes on. Mm -hmm. And this is an adult woman who has four children getting whipped in front of her father for her father's viewing pleasure. Yeah. That's like, yeah, a preview of things to come. To me... Also, there's another scene where Corinne is laying by her father in his bed. And I mean, you know, he's bedridden. So that's not as like mm-hmm. weird as it uh, under normal circumstances. It wouldn't have been weird. And she's he's like, I always liked you the best, Corinne. You know, and it's like really gross. It feels gross. It feels like. Because she was abused by him. He didn't just, you know, seduce his, quote, seduce his own sister to have Corinne, but now he's abusing Corinne. And Corinne looked to her uncle, who was really, like, what, probably 10 years older than her or something, no. I mean, probably less because she had like a 13 or 14 year old already too with him. Right. Okay. So close she's, to the same age. So they're basically, you know, they're really around the same age. How old do you think their age difference would be like? Maybe like five years or something. Okay. So she's like five years younger than her uncle. Mm-hmm. She's isolated. She's totally isolated in this house with this mother who is constantly blaming her for her own sexual assault because her mom's book that has brainwashed the mom, the book she carries around all the time has told her that it's the woman's fault for any terrible thing that a man does. She's constantly being blamed by the mom for her abuse, for the abuse from her father. And then the uncle comes along and seduces her 
and is like, I'll take you away from all this. And they get pregnant with the eldest boy and they run away. Mm-hmm. And then they live happily ever after. And it's like until the mom's reality comes crashing down. And the mom's reality is that she went from one abuser to another. She's never had any agency of any kind. I don't care how much older this uncle is. He's her uncle. Maybe half uncle. (laughs) I'm just saying, like, to some extent, you can't blame this mother. And in the book and in the movie, it makes it, like, kind of look like it's all the mom's fault or something. In a way that I was like, it's really not like it is her fault. She should not have killed her children. Obviously, the mother, Corinne, when she gets back to the house, she's in a state of shock because she lost her savior, basically, in mm-hmm. her husband slash uncle. <laughs> the kids are a constant reminder of him which it's too painful for her. She's never developed emotionally, probably past the age of like, you know, however, like she's like a child Mm -hmm. in a lot of ways herself. Then she gets thrown back into this house where the first people that ever cared for her, supposed to care for her, were brutally abusive to her. And now she has to depend on them. And she immediately goes into a fawning response where she just agrees with whatever the her parents tell her to do. Mm-hmm. And if her mother tells her that the children have to be rid of, she has to get rid of the children, then she's going to get rid of the children. Like, what were what did you think of the motivations of the mother? Because by the end of the movie, we realized that like, those kids were never meant to come back out of the attic. They were being slowly poisoned and starved to death. While the mother goes gallivanting around town, getting herself a new husband. Mm-hmm. I felt like, so yeah, in the beginning, when the mom, when Corinne first came back to her parents, <clears throat> I did feel like sorry for her because I was like, obviously she was abused as a child because she readily succumbs to abuse as a full-grown adult. She just goes right back into it. And then I thought she was probably molested by her father, right? Yeah. So I was like, well, she's just, you know, walking back into her trauma. She's regressing. And she's feeling like powerless again at her parents' hands. So I did feel bad for her. And she was doing it for like a specific cause for her children. Um, And it was supposed to be for a limited amount of time with a set goal. So I was like, okay, I can understand somewhat why she's doing this and willing to put up with this and willing to put her children through this temporarily because yeah, she was traumatized too. But then after a while, when it becomes clear that yes, she it's just leaving her kids up there and abandoning them. Um, 
then yeah, I turned against her <laughs> because even if you were abused as a child, like then you should know. I know that people fall into patterns where they repeat their abuse and all of that, but you know, some people break that pattern and are informed by it. So they know not to do that to their own children, but she basically just forsook her children in order to go back to like the life that she could have had if she hadn't left and left with her uncle where she could have just been like this rich socialite having parties in her honor and marrying some rich man. And that's what she did. And she basically um, chose that over her children because she just keeps telling them like, just a little longer. Grandpa's almost dead. As soon as grandpa's dead, we can leave and I'll be in his will and we'll all be rich beyond our wildest dreams. Yeah. And they're like, okay, mom, can I have another arsenic cookie? (laughs) (laughs) So they're like waiting, waiting, being tortured. And then the daughter, um, Kathy, played by Christy Swanson, she's like pretty much becoming cynical first. She's realizing like, this is messed up. Mom should not be doing this to us. She's basically abandoning us. And then her brother, who's a little older, is like, she's our mom. She would never do that. And he's like always on her side and defending her in spite of all the terrible things that are happening to them. And um, basically, yeah, Kathy's like not having it. He, Kathy is like, noticing really quickly that no one in this house has any empathy and that she's like okay if you see a kid who's sick you help the kid like what is going on here christopher wants to blame it all on the grandma Mm -hmm. but kathy's going well everyone here like the adults all the adults have to take responsibility for the fact that they have us locked up as prisoner in an attic and they see their mom less and less and she'll, she'll throw them a bone every once in a while and come up. And it's like the, the little twin, there's a, the boy and girl twins, the little boy twin, he gets sick. He keeps getting sick to the point where they're starving. The grandma's not bringing them any food because they talk back or something. So they're starving already. And then the little boy is like really extra sick. And you realize he's the only one that was eating the arsenic cookies. The kids realize that they're being poisoned that's sort of the last straw for them of like, oh my God, <laughs> you know, like our little, little brother got murdered. Yeah. And the grandma thinks it's totally justified because of the book that she believes in. Because he's an abomination. <laughs> you know what else is funny about that though? Is that that same book has justified um, incest in royal blood bloodlines mm. <laughs> of being like having, you know, holy special God blessed blood or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so you got to keep the bloodlines pure. 
So I'm like, well, which way is it? Oh, it's both ways because you can pick whatever you want out of that book and say that that's the way it is. And it's backed up by the book. I guess incest is okay if you're royalty. (laughs) It's encouraged. (laughs) Or used to be. So there are some scenes in this movie where uh, the brother, the old Christopher, he's he does check out his sister like and he is like always coming in. And this isn't this is like every time Kathy takes a bath. Christopher's got to poke his head in and start a conversation with her. Okay, you're right. <laughs> um, I was going to say that there really was like not it was nothing like what I was expecting as far as like brother sister interaction and incest things. I was expecting them to like have sex, but I guess it's just because I knew that from the book. Yes. Um, and I forgot that they didn't in the movie. Um, and then also I did watch the remake of this, like the 2014 version for Lifetime with Heather Graham as the mom. Mm-hmm. And probably on the Lifetime one, they did have sex. So I might be like intermingling it in my mind. <laughs> right. um, but yes, so I felt like it was pretty tame compared to what I was expecting. But there were definitely like the overtones of like, something might happen. And you see him like, yeah, looking into the bathroom while she's getting dressed, but he never says anything. So it seems like innocent, but yes, it's like, he always has to talk to her while she's in the bathtub. And it's like, you guys are trapped in an attic together constantly for a year. So maybe this conversation could wait (laughs) until she's out of the bathtub. Like you're not going to miss her. Like, you know where she is. You can talk about it later. Or through the door. It's such a good point. And then he like, like rubs her back with a washcloth or something. And it's mm-hmm. just like, first of all, brothers and sisters don't do that normally. Like ah. they just acted like it was some completely normal for him to come in and rub her back with a washcloth. And this was like pretty early on yeah, before they were like trapped in there together. Yeah, they weren't trapped that long. Well, there was Mm -hmm. also a flashback scene where Kathy was like, I was always daddy's favorite. Daddy told me how I was his favorite. And he gave me a special toy. And he said, Kathy, dear, don't tell anybody about this. And you're my favorite. Yes. Thank you for bringing that up. (laughs) I I definitely wanted to mention that because like in the beginning of the movie, (laughs) when she's thinking back um, when their dad's still alive and then he's come back from a trip and they like had this ritual where all the kids would like hide behind the couch and surprise him when he came home. So he came back from a business trip. And then like that night he comes into Kathy's bedroom while she's in bed and gives her the special gift that you're talking about this like ballerina music box thing. And he's like, don't tell anyone. And then he's like, you know that you're my favorite. And I was just getting really creeped out and he hugs her and I'm like, okay. Am I supposed to think that he's molesting her or like getting ready to and this was before we knew that he was like the uncle of their mom, but you already get like the vibes of like, 
this seems weird. And then the mother, you see her mother standing in the doorway, staring at him and looking like upset. And I was like, okay, the mom is jealous that he's showing this attention to the daughter. But then later when you find out about the incest, then it's like, maybe the mom is thinking that he's grooming their daughter so she can be next. Well, because, and the mom's like recognizing how, wait, these are the things he said to me Mm -hmm. when I was Kathy's age. Then the same scenario plays out with Corinne and her dad with her mom standing in the corner when Corinne is leaning on her dad and he's like, you're my favorite. And then her mom is standing in the corner in the doorway looking on like with a displeased look. And it's like the same thing was happening there. Yeah. Hating her daughter and blaming Mm -hmm. her daughter Mm -hmm. for what's happening. Not the man. Because of Eve. Is there a part of Corinne that hates Kathy as a, as sexual competition in a way that would allow her to justify annihilating the whole rest of her family, like all of her children. Yeah, I think you're right. She would see her as competition, at least for her own dad. Maybe that's another reason she didn't want her dad to see the kids because the dad would think that (laughs) Kathy was like a hot new piece of ass in the house and he would want her instead. (laughs) Yeah. Oh my God. So it's interesting. It's interesting how like in this movie, we're getting all of these cues of there's serious sexual abuse happening. And I heard a lot of people be like, why, why are women into this VC Andrews stuff? It's all perverted and it's all abuse and incest and all this. And it's like, well, she's clearly expressing something that is in the consciousness of women all around the world. Cause these books are popular internationally. Mm-hmm. And the thing that she is expressing and articulating in the most specific way possible is intergenerational sexual abuse and the effects that it has. Yes. Because it's going on all over the fucking place, especially in 1980. This expression of intergenerational sexual abuse is similar to the way that people were expressing it in the satanic panic of exaggerating literary exaggerations to express something in a way that's like, um, because it's all exaggerated, it's safe. It's safer to look at because you can go, well, that's not what my family looks like. Mm. My family wasn't that fucked up as those doll engagers are. But my brother messed with me when I was a kid or my uncle or whatever. And you can safely find yourself in Kathy who becomes the heroine of the book, you know, Mm -hmm. or the movie. Like she escapes 
the tragic situation. And so it gives like people hope that they can escape in whatever way they can. And probably on some level without even acknowledging or recognizing that the extent of the abuse that was happening in their own home. That makes so much sense. I think you're a hundred percent correct. And it's like, it has staying power too. Like mm-hmm. they're still popular. Yeah. They remade the movie series like in 2014 for a lifetime and they did the sequels as well. Like the petals Whoa. in the wind. Yeah. And if there be thorns and something about seeds, they did like four of them. <laughs> uh-huh. Wow. I know. I didn't even know that. So it's definitely got staying power because intergenerational sexual trauma has staying power too, unfortunately. So I guess people will keep identifying with this. The children get trapped in a web of secrets and the only people they can turn to are each other. And let's say the attic is a metaphor for what it's like to have to keep the secret that your family is enmeshed in chronic sexual abuse. You can't let anybody else in that bubble from the outside world. You can't have friends stay over because they might get messed with. So you have to protect your friends from school and not invite them over to the house. You can't go to other people's houses because your parents are controlling. They're afraid that you might see how other people live and realize that how you live is really messed up. So you can't tell anybody what's happening because you have to protect your family above all. So you're trapped. And if you have a sibling who's also being abused, then you're finding solace in one another because you're the only two people in the world that understand what it's like. Mm -hmm. I can see why Christopher and Kathy end up just like getting married and staying with each other almost because they have like the trauma bond and they are the only ones, like you said, that understand what they've been through. And I feel like it might be like too much for them to even, it would take a lot of work for them to be able to have a healthy relationship with someone else because there's so much in their past and it's probably just easier and safer for them to stick together. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I know incest isn't great, but for those two, I can see why they chose to just stick with it. I mean, I, I have a hard time. Like I don't have, I don't have any siblings that are anywhere around my age, Mm -hmm. but I cannot imagine growing up with anyone And then suddenly becoming attracted to them just because I was in close quarters with them for a long time. Uh, Personally, but I also think that people need to feel loved and supported. And they're going to get that wherever they can get it. 
And that's what happened to Christopher and Kathy. Like, I'm not judging them for riding off into the sunset together (laughs) at the end of the movie. Because they lived in an attic getting slowly starved and beaten to death by the people that are supposed to love and take care of them the most. So, yeah, I mean, the the least gross part about this whole movie is that they end up together. Wow. Mm-hmm. That's how fucking gross this movie is, that you could even for a second go, well, at least Christopher and Kathy <laughs> love each other. What is happening? It's true. It like reframed my view on incestuous marriages. <laughs> it made it seem okay yeah. by the end. <laughs> right. Wow. Yeah. And also when they're in the attic together, they do basically become like a family where they're the parents taking care of the twins because the twins are so much younger. And so they start like forming that dynamic almost of like mother and father. So it's already like beginning while they're trapped there together. And it just seems like almost natural to continue it. Well, and the yeah, and it definitely the mother and father role that they take on for the twins develops before the sexual interest starts. Mm-hmm. But in the book, I did I looked up how old they were when they went to the attic. And Chris Christopher was 14 and Kathy was 12. Yeah. Which is exactly that age. Yeah. Their hormones are raging and they've got no one but each other to look at. Like literally no contact with anyone else besides occasionally their grandma and their mom, which is like, and then their tinier siblings. So it's like, I guess that sexual interest has to go somewhere. I, they could just like masturbate furiously all the time <laughs> instead. But... <laughs> I mean, I was just going to say that I like read a little bit about the book too. Um, I didn't read it, but I, cause I wanted to see like where it differed. Cause I was like, where do all these sex scenes in my mind come from? Mm-hmm. And then it said, yeah, their ages. And then apparently like in the book. So in the movie also Kathy and Christopher, like start escaping from the attic occasionally and like going down into the house at night. <clears throat> And they do try to leave the house, but that gets thwarted because there's like an armed guard surrounding the house that has attack dogs and all of that. So they don't get to escape. But in the book, one of the times when they um, escape, they go into the bedroom where their mom and her new husband are sleeping because the mom already gets married and continues living in the house while her kids are locked in the attic. And then in the book, Kathy goes to the mom's new husband and like kisses him while he's sleeping. Ew, what? Yeah. Isn't that weird and gross? And then Christopher overhears 
the mom's new husband and the mom talking about how he had a dream that a young blonde girl came in and kissed him in the middle of the night. (laughs) Christopher confronts Kathy and she was like, it didn't mean anything. I just did it because he was there and I was just curious. And then so like Christopher's jealous that she kissed the mom's new husband. And then she was like, it didn't mean anything like, and then Christopher and Kathy kiss, and then they have sex. Oh God. oh, God. Oh, my God. It's so awful. It's so awful. Well, okay, but here's the thing. Like, my mom bought me this book to read oh. when I was, like, 11 or 12. Did she not know? What? She saw the movie. She knew exactly what was. I don't think. I. Did you request it or did she just like bring it home from Barnes and Noble? Like, here you go. Hell yeah. I requested it. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, I saw the movie and it's like, well, what the hell is happening? Because you can tell in the movie, there's a lot more stuff going on mm-hmm. that they're not telling you about. And okay. So what you just told me though, really shines a light on the family tree that I saw posted on Pinterest somewhere Mm -hmm. that was like the whole family tree. And there was the sub shoot of Corinne's new husband having a baby with Kathy. What? Yeah. And I was like, huh, how's that happen? But now it makes sense because in the movie, we can spill the beans right now. In the movie, Corinne falls over a balcony and is plunges to her death. Yes. She's hung by her own wedding veil. Yes. Mm-hmm. That's the ultimate wedding crasher scene when you end up <laughs> killing the bride. <laughs> and hanging her by her own wedding veil. <laughs> Top that. Yeah. <laughs> Oh my God. And then, so I was like, well, that's weird. Like there, but that makes sense. Cause in the book, it's even more demented in Jane Eyre, Mr. Rochester's wife is like kept mm-hmm. held up in the attic yes, secretly. And in this book, the woman's children are being hidden secretly in the attic from the new husband. So it's like a twist on mm-hmm. the classic um so there's a scene where the they haven't been fed by their grandma for like a week and the little kid Corey is like really sick the twin he's basically on the verge of death and so christopher cuts his arm and like feeds his blood to Corey. hmm yeah that's intense i mean that's what this that's what's going on like okay if i was gonna if you're gonna be like describe flowers in the attic in one sentence i would say well there's a scene where a little boy is fed the blood of his brother (laughs) because his grandma is starving him to death god let's Mm -hmm. invite some 11 year olds (laughs) what (laughs) (laughs) yeah Okay, so I have a question. Do you Mm -hmm. think that, wait, I know now, I just remembered. 
because the kids were being poisoned with the powdered sugar on the cookies. Um, and I was like, do you think that the mom knew or was it just the grandma doing it and the mom didn't know? No, the mom knows that yeah. they're getting poisoned to death. Because then by the end, they show the mom like sprinkling it on, I think. Yeah. At one point. And then the kids are like, finally, the mom does come to the room with the grandma at one point and they're like Corey is dying like look at him he's going to die and the mom is not even going to take him to the hospital or anything and then carrie or kathy is like you know threatens her and says that you know you better do it somehow she convinces them to take him to the hospital but really they don't take him to the hospital (laughs) and you just see um like a grave being dug is the next thing that you see. And then it pans over and there are like three empty graves next to it. So you're like, Oh, okay. Everyone is in on it. And they all know that they're just planning to kill these kids. Yeah. And the Butler that they hired from the morgue slab. (laughs) is like in charge of the digging. Yeah. (laughs) Cause you were talking about the Butler. Um, a bit of trivia is that there's also a maid for a second. I think the butler and the maid are talking. And the maid is VC Andrews. What? It's in the movie. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know that. Yeah. That's incredible. There were a couple times in the movie where I was just like, what are you guys doing? Like once Kathy and Chris gained the ability to get out of the attic, it's like, their mom was having a big party in her honor, like her reintroduction to society. And she was so excited because she had won back her father's love. So he was rewarding her with a party. And uh, Chris is like, I want to go see what this party is all about. So he, they like escape down there to take a look at it. And um, then they go into their mom's room and they see that she's been living in this like luxurious room with everything she could ever want and like all these new gowns. And then, Kathy gets so mad. She's like, we've been living on like a dirty mattress in the attic and mom is living in luxury. What is going on here? And then of course, Christopher keeps defending her, but they're like, we've got to go find her. And I was just like, why don't you stay in her room and wait for her to come back? Like, why do you have to go downstairs and risk getting caught? Um, but I know that that's how they build tension in the movies. <laughs> just keep me angry. I'm like, just right. wait. Wait for her to come back to her room. Yeah, be practical. Then, I know. It's like, again, where else do you have to go? You're not going anywhere. You're <laughs> right. just going back to the attic. So just chill out and wait for a minute. Um, And then whenever they do find out that there's a wedding and they're coming downstairs to like crash the wedding, I was getting like really nervous. I don't know why. I was like, ooh, what's going to happen? It kind of drew me in yeah I almost didn't want the wedding to get ruined (laughs) even though the (laughs) mom's like really terrible I don't know why I was kind of hoping like it would go through but (laughs) like maybe maybe they would get married and then the guy would see like the new husband would see the kids and be like I've always wanted children (laughs) yeah and then the grandma like drops out of a heart attack (laughs) (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah that's what I was hoping for (laughs) it's just so terrible the whole thing and then when they do come downstairs and then they go to the grandpa's room later and the bed is like all 
disassembled and they see like their grandpa's dead. Like he's been dead for a long time and their mom still hadn't come to talk to them or anything. (laughs) Then they realize like, yeah, she's just going to start her life over again without us. And she doesn't care. Well, oh, that reminded me another scene with the grandpa that one night whenever Christopher and Kathy snuck out into the house and they went to the grandpa's room and went up to him and he grabbed Kathy and was like, Corinne, and was like, oh, he's so gross. Um, That was just another, to me, that was like another, the way he grabbed her was another indication of there's just ongoing sexual trauma Mm -hmm. perpetrated by the men in this family. Yes. And then the woman comes along after him and blames the abused child for the abuse through justifications of the book that she carries around with her. And that's like pretty standard. I mean, I'm really flabbergasted by this movie. Um, About halfway through it, when I watched it, I felt like I was going to get a panic attack. Oh, really? I had to like stop watching it. And I like ate a snack and just took a little walk and came back to it because I was like, this is really awful because I know that on some level, you know, a lot of people experience this sort of environment Mm -hmm. and it's all conditional. It's conditional love. And then there's also the added element of using money and gifts to control other people's behavior so that you never have to answer to your own behavior. Mm-hmm. Like if, if Corinne's dad didn't have any money, she would have never gone back to him and subjected herself to that after her husband died. You're right. She went back because she felt like she had no opportunities to support her family. Mm -hmm. And so she just automatically reverts back to the ownership of the previous man that owned her before her husband owned her. You're right. I feel like even if he didn't have a lot of money, maybe she would have gone back there just for the things that you're saying, because she didn't ever really have any experience being out on her own. And she was always under the control of her dad and then her uncle. And it was the fifties and she had four kids. So she might've just been like, well, what am I going to do? Yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah. So I mean, I guess we'll never know. This movie also says a lot about why it's important that women have the ability to make money out in the world for themselves. Mm -hmm. 
and opportunities to have skills. I mean, honestly, like women having skills to work out in the world is one of the most pro-life things that you could do because it gives women the ability to support and raise the children that have already been birthed into the world and that are here now waiting to be fed. Mm -hmm. And sometimes there's not a man there to do the heavy lifting because we don't live in a storybook television show from the 1950s. Yep. But I think we need to ban this book. Are we all still trying to ban this book? It's a ban. It's on. It's uh, consistently on banned books, banned mm. book lists. That ship has sailed, people. Mm-hmm. This book is really old now. Just <laughs> deal with it. And there's movies on Lifetime. So what are you going to do? Just give it up. <laughs> Move on to a different book to ban. Oh my god! It's uh, like they think people are going to read it and then start like having incest with their sister or brother because they read this book and they're going to be inspired or like it's going to inspire people to sexually abuse their children. I actually think that the people that are scared of this book are actually scared of the way that it represents the book that they also believe in as that they get all of their uh, fundamentalist dogma from because the book is very critical of fundamentalist dogma to justify abusing uh, girl children who are being sexually abused by grown adult men. But the book that they all believe in says that the girl asked for it, the little eight-year-old girl, the 10-year-old girl, the 12-year-old girl, the 14-year-old girl. She needs to quit having long hair because it's tempting. It's too tempting for that uh, to that adult man because mm-hmm. adult men apparently have no free will and can't make any decisions of your of their own which is interesting that men these fundamentalist guys are into this belief system that they don't take any responsibility for their inability to control their sexuality and have to constantly blame women for their own thoughts because that's very actually very disempowering to men. It's very disempowering to men. You're basically telling men that they don't know how to um, have agency. Mm-hmm. So men are believing that they don't have agency and at the mercy of the temptation of some woman's hair or her leg. Yeah. Take some fucking responsibility for yourself, dude. They have control of every part of society and themselves, except for when it comes to the sexuality. That's like their one weakness because they're the head of the household. They make all the decisions. Everyone looks to the man as the king. And he is the one with the best judgment, except for this one area. Right. Yeah. It's this one shortcoming. And so it is the woman's fault. Obviously. I I don't I just don't understand. 
now we're getting into the whole thing of if you're pro-life, why is sex bad, dude? Don't you want everybody having sex all the time so there can be more pregnancies and more babies? Oh, wait, that's right. Because your pro-life just means that you want to control women's bodies. It has absolutely nothing to do with any of the children that are already on the planet that y'all don't want to feed because you're too busy trying to get a new yacht or some shit. Because, <laughs> oh, my God, I don't want to have to pay any taxes. Fuck the kids. But that's what this all brings up for me. You know what I mean? It's just like mm-hmm. the hypocrisy of saying you're pro-life, except that you believe in the death penalty, you justify abusing children or starving children because they don't fit your ideal of what is holy, according to your book. But you really care about what's going on in my womb. Until the kid pops out and then you don't want to hear about it again until they're 18 and they can go off and die for your fucking country. Here's to be a pro-life. Great. (laughs) That's it in a nutshell. Good job. Thanks. (laughs) I feel terrible. (laughs) I'm sorry, everybody. And now it's time to take a few deep breaths. Mm-hmm. I can tell you a little other bit of movie trivia to take your mind off of it. Mm. I would love to hear it, Sarah. Well, one thing is that, oh, speaking of different strokes, because we were mm-hmm. going to watch a different strokes, Dana Plato, who plays Kimberly on different strokes, originally brought this idea to one of the producers to make it into a movie. And he wanted her to play the part. But by the time everything actually got going, it had been like too long. And so then they cast Christy Swanson. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? Damn. That's so weird that we would have picked. That is really weird. Isn't that weird? Yeah. Yeah. Because I just found that out today. That Hmm. kind of stuff happens a lot over here at Cover Your Eyes podcast. It does. That is strange. Um. And then the other thing is that originally Wes Craven of mm-hmm. like Scream and Nightmare on Elm Street was going to direct the movie. Can you imagine? It would have been so much better. <laughs> but they like didn't like the direction he was going with it. So they brought in someone else. His would have been so much better. I agree. More true to the book, I'd say. I bet. Yeah, I bet it was going to be too scandalous. Yeah. Scandalous. Um, And then also they showed the movie to test audiences in like San Fernando Valley, California or something. And they didn't like there were incest scenes in the movie, but the audience didn't like them. So they took them out. Okay. Yeah. And then they also didn't like the ending. Um. And the producer or someone thought that the audience would like it better if the kids got revenge on their mom. And so that's why she ended up getting killed in the end. Cause that's not what really happens in the book. Yeah, not at all. yeah. And so the guy who was directing it got like really furious and he walked out and he refused to like direct the end of the movie. So they had to bring someone else in. <laughs> oh 
Oh, that explains why the end of the movie looks like somebody else shot the scenes <laughs> from the they rest did. of the movie. Because <laughs> it mm-hmm. got like real soap opera direction-y at the end. Yeah. And okay, that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, this movie feels like a movie that switched hands a lot during production. For mm-hmm. sure. It's like a hot um, potato. Like, no one wants it. They just keep tossing it off to someone else. <laughs> oh, my God. Like, it's You're your right. partner now. <laughs> and it shows. Oh, my God. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure that the... Te- so, did they, like, offer a free trauma therapy to the test audience? <laughs> like, after the movie? <laughs> They should have. Oh, God. I know. The other thing in this movie that I I held against the mother was that mm-hmm. she was the mean woman from All of Me with Steve Martin and Lily Tomlin. Remember her in that oh, movie? I don't necessarily, but I loved that movie as a kid. I can't think of her name, but I guess I grapple with just this whole idea that you could be this doting loving mother for 14 years and then just a a switch is flipped and you are plotting to kill your whole to kill all four of your children slowly (laughs) while they linger and suffer away with vitamin d deficiencies in the attic like Mm -hmm. that's hard to that's hard for me to wrap my head around on top of everything else. <laughs> yeah. It would be hard to imagine, but I can see it happening. I know there are some people out there who could just switch like that. They're well, yeah, not actually I mean, attached. They're just like playing a role. And then when that role is changed, they jump yeah. into another one. Right. Yeah, you're right. That's what it is. I feel like the kids always like their dad best anyway, like based on the montage at the beginning. I feel like dad was the star of the show and mom was just like there in the supporting role. And so when mom he was, was gone, she was like ready to abandon the role of matriarch and just start over as like a swinging single socialite. So it's kind of like mom was really only ever there for dad anyway. That's the vibe I was getting. And that that the kids were not really the point. The kids were the kids were only an interest to the mom as long as they were an interest to the dad. Mm-hmm. But as soon as the inter- the primary interest of the dad is removed, the mother is no longer interested in the children. Yes. Ugh, that's so creepy. Mm-hmm. That reminds me of like what was that lady like Diane Downs that like was that her name she like tried to kill her kid she like killed oh that blonde her- like Pat Benatar hair woman yeah because like her boyfriend oh my god didn't want kids or something awful I don't know if that was her name though it might have been a different that's one. somebody's name yeah, yeah that name's familiar and then you watch the interview and she's just like completely casual and like laughing and like it's no big deal 
and like flirty. Like yeah. sexual attention from men is the only thing in my world that I get any validation for. And you know what? In Corinne's case, she grew up where that was the only validation she ever got from any of the men, adult men in her family when she was a child. It's hard for me to say something rude to somebody who frankly deserves to be rude, you know, like in the moment, you know, like when you're out, when you're out in public and like maybe somebody does something that's uncalled for or something. And it's like, you could be rude. I don't know. It's just empathy. It's like not having it is perplexing. Mm-hmm. So when you see people, like when people don't have it, it's so innate in us humans that when people don't have it, people who do have it, they, they will, they will go to every single explanation before they will admit that that other person just doesn't have empathy. And so for this mom, she's going along with whatever guy. And that's the only thing that's important. Because the next guy she wants to move on to is like her dad's attorney or something. And so she doesn't want to bring her past life into that. He thinks that she's starting with like a clean slate. And so that's the new role that she's playing. And the kids are just an inconvenience. Past the arsenic. Yeah. <laughs> well, I re-virginized myself. <laughs> she got vaginal rejuvenation surgery <laughs> oh my before her big debutante ball. <laughs> <laughs> well... Um, please don't send us your therapy bill. <laughs> your what? Your therapy bill. Oh, <laughs> yeah, please don't. Um, yeah, I don't know anything else. Oh, God, I don't think so. I mean, I just want to move on with my life. Okay. I I will say this. Uh, let's end it on a, sh- I'll, I'll end my end on the shallow note here. So whenever the mom was hanging at the end of the movie, Mm -hmm. I was so just numb from this shit show of a movie known as Flowers in the Attic that all I could really think of was, I really like those granny boots. (laughs) Yes, your mind was just looking for any bright light. Or piece of positive input that it could find. Okay, so my favorite quote was when Kathy says in a voiceover, I found a way to escape, even if it was only to a hot bath and my fantasies. <laughs> and I thought, that seems really funny. <laughs> and my fantasies. Because your bro keeps coming in. I know. You know Chris is on his way. Once he hears that bathwater running, he's like, I got to think of something to talk to Kathy about fast. <laughs> I know she's in there in her hot baths having fantasies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what? <laughs> oh, God. 
Um, um, my favorite quote was when Kathy was trying to talk to Christopher about how messed up the situation was and that their mom really was a monster. And then she said, all the money in the world isn't worth the living that we've lost. And I was like, that's true. And I feel yeah. that way sometimes about my education and my career. <laughs> it like resonated with me. <laughs> I was like, yes, Kathy, you're right. <laughs> so that was my quote. Um, question. Um, have you ever been trapped in an attic with your siblings and fed poisonous cookies by your grandmother? If you have, please write to us at coveryoureyespodcast at gmail.com. And if you've ever crashed a wedding, we want to hear about that too. Definitely. And if you ended up murdering the bride inadvertently, we definitely want to hear about that too. Coveryouryespodcast at gmail.com. What? I was going to preferably that you're writing to us from a jail cell. Yeah. (laughs) It was an accident. It was an accident. (laughs) (laughs) Mm, Yeah, I guess that's it. Oh, my God. We're so sorry. Yeah. So also speaking of terrible books. That should be banned. Um, I still have some <laughs> BJ Daniels romance novels available for anyone that leaves us a review, a five-star review, preferably, but only if you really wanted to anyway. This will just be like extra incentive. And if you do, um, just email us your info and I'll send you a copy of a BJ Daniels romance novel from my grandma. Sounds amazing. <laughs> mm-hmm. Anything else? I did. I I think the thing I'd like to leave everyone with is the idea that Rodney Dangerfield's character from Caddyshack actually crashes the wedding at the end of this movie. <laughs> that would be more fun. I just um, feel like I need some Rodney Dangerfield in my life now. With his golf bag that has the radio built in and the keg yes. built in. Yeah. He can call for help for the children <laughs> from this golf bag. <laughs> and then he adopts the children. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That would be great. Okay, I feel happier now. All right. Well, until next time. Until next time. Thank you for listening. We appreciate you. We hope you enjoyed it. See you next Tuesday. See you next Tuesday.